Well, here we go. Welcome, 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 and welcome to those online as well. Uh, we are today concluding our series in Romans chapter 8. It's a little bit sad to me because for I've just really, really enjoyed this myself as we have kind of walked through the entire thing. And last week we looked at a four-sentence, four-word sen- four, four sentence that we wanted everybody to remember. Does anybody remember what it was? God is for you. Way to go, man. Way to go. Yeah, that's right. At least one person. Uh, remind me. I'll give you a candy bar afterwards. Uh, I didn't. I didn't see that. So, um, but today is a great ending. You know, we looked at the fact that God doesn't condemn us. We looked at the fact that He's paid the price for us. We've looked a couple of weeks ago at the fact that that He works everything out for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. We looked at the fact that all good things come from Him. And today we get to look at the great conclusion to this chapter. It begins in verse number 39 of Romans chapter 8. Let's take a look. Who shall separate us? From the love of Christ, shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, I'm going to stop there just a second and remind you how many times we've heard in just this chapter, all things, you know, all things work together for good. All things are, the good, good things are given to us. And now he says, and in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. God's love overcomes all obstacles. It just does. So woven all through this chapter 8 that we've seen how much God loves us. And now, as Paul concludes this, we get to kind of marinate in the truth of how we are more than conquerors, Paul is saying, through Jesus and his love for us. I think the truth is that when we get just a little bit of comprehension about how much God really does love us, he becomes almost irresistible not to love back. We really have to when we stop and think about that. Just really kind of, as I said, marinate on the fact that he loves you that incredibly much. In fact, I am convinced that people who reject Jesus Christ mostly really don't know him. So they're really actually rejecting a God for something they don't know about. And uh, it's very fascinating with that, how that seems to work. I read uh, a story a while back about uh, a pastor who happened to be in the grocery store in a small town. Everybody knows everybody in the town. And, and uh, the local atheist is in the same line with him waiting to get groceries. And the atheist just wanted to remind him of the fact that, you know, uh, that he doesn't believe in God. So he turns to the pastor and he says, you know I don't believe in God, right? And the pastor says, yeah, yeah, I know that. He says, and you know that I actually do. He says, but I've got a question for you. Tell me about the God that you don't believe in. And he said, what do you mean? What do you mean? He said, well, well, tell me about what you perceive as the God that you are rejecting. 
And he said, oh, he says, I, I, I can't believe in a God that is just up in heaven and a, and a God that doesn't come in and that, that allows bad things to happen to good people and, and uh, that, that actually, you know, you, you talk about him being loved, but he just seems to be all, by, all about himself in heaven. Says, That's the kind of God. I just, I just reject that. And the pastor said, wow, so do I. That's nothing like the God that I believe in. Isn't that interesting? And that so much so often is the case. Our God, Romans 8 has made so clear to us, is outlandishly forgiving. He is extremely merciful. He is amazingly giving. He is astoundingly patient and incredibly loving. Man, does he ever love you, no matter what. So Paul starts out by saying, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? It's actually a rhetorical question. He's not looking for an answer. He's saying, uh, it's so obvious that nothing can separate God's love from us. In other words, God's love, he's saying, overcomes all obstacles. God's love, he's saying, for us is different than our love for God. Hmm? His love for us is what overcomes all those obstacles. Our love can be separated. You see husbands and wives where their loves get separated. You see people where they, they start out loving God and walking with him, and then something happens in their life, and they allow it to actually create separation between, between them and God. But Paul is saying nothing, nothing gets in between God and his love for us. Nothing can do that. So he articulates the things that actually could separate us from each other or from God and how these things can occasionally do that. But he's saying, but, the, but they do not separate God's love from us. And here's what those things are. Tribulation, he says. The, the root of that word is something that's squeezed or put under pressure. So like an outward affliction, like physical problems, a financial squeeze, relational crisis, those things. So Paul is saying God's love can't be squeezed or pressured away from us. It cannot be. He talks about distress. The Greek word for that distress is inward pressures, anxiety, depression, uh, unable to cope, not feeling loved. And, and Paul is saying, listen, God's love remains no matter what it feels like. No matter what it feels like, it's still there. He mentions, mentions persecution. That's the idea of actually having things happen to us because of our relationship to Jesus. Uh, derogatory comments, false uh, accusations, gossip, rumors, those kinds of things. And, and what Paul is saying is God's love can't be manipulated or coerced to leave us. It can't be. Those things cannot convince God to do that. And then he mentions famine or nakedness, and really what he's talking about there are the physical evils that would deprive us of nourishment, of shelter, adequate housing, feeling vulnerable and unprotected. And he's saying even if we feel that way, it doesn't keep God's love for us from coming to us. So God's love is not based on status. It extends to the vulnerable, to the lost, to the last, to the least. And he concludes that piece of scripture by saying, or even danger or sword. And there he's talking about violent antagonists, you know, people that want to try to cut out God's love or kill it, or the enemy, the devil who would try to do that for you. And he's saying God's love mm -mm, can't be killed, can't be cut out, can't be poisoned. It's really important that we get 
that Paul is not inferring that God keeps a person immune from trouble because that's not true. In fact, he says God will be with you in your trouble. Mm. And, and we're going to see in just a minute that he, that he makes it very clear there still may be these other things. But it doesn't matter, he's saying, what actual troubles attack your life. Not one of them can separate God's love for you from you. So God's love overcomes all obstacles. So if the conditions that he's talking about here cannot separate Christ's love from us, then he's saying no circumstances on earth can in spite of everything that life throws at us, it's impossible to separate Jesus Christ's love, his love for us. What's not impossible is for uh, our love to wane, our love to miss the mark, our love to begin to kind of allow it to get out of the way. And when we do not believe, when we do not have the faith that God is actually working all things out to good, when we actually don't have the faith and the understanding of how much he really does love us, well, then we can start to get to the place where we go, well, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. I, 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 or we begin to put him so far out there that we, that we forget he loves us so much because he wants a relationship with us. He wants to speak to us. He wants us to, to speak to him, not just to request things of him, but to demonstrate our love in response to him for his love for us. So the afflictions that Paul mentions can crush worldly joy. They can absolutely stifle earthly hope. They can push us into places of solitude and depression, but they cannot touch, he's saying, even in the smallest way, they cannot touch the love that Jesus has for us, even when it doesn't feel like it. I think if we will make Christ's words right here, the ones that we are reading right now, those words and his other words are companions, then we won't be alone. We'll never be alone. If we make Christ our cause for joy, then we'll never be without joy. And if we make Christ our cause for hope, then we will never be without hope. Listen to this. This is biblical truth. We can overcome the assault of all and even the loss of all if we will just make Christ our all. You see that? When things come against me, no matter, what, no matter what they all are, or even if I lose all that I have, I don't lose that relationship with him. If I make him my all, then I can stay the course the way he's called me to, even when everything around me gives reason not to. There are many of these things that Paul is talking about. There are real dangers in it that we would allow it to separate us from Jesus. And that's one of the reasons he's telling us is, look, he's saying, look, there is a part we have in this, but I want you to know God's part is done. That's what Paul is saying. His part is done. His love cannot be stopped. He goes on in verse 36 to say, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. So there he's reminded us, no, there may be suffering. And you yourself may actually have felt that and feel that now. It's not new. The idea of saying, for your sake, all these things are happening, 
indicates that it's being inflicted on us because of obeying God. You see that? So it's not because we've done something to bring it on ourselves except for following God in that case. And so Paul wants us to understand when you follow God that way, God's love actually becomes welded to us through the fire of adversity. You know, if you've ever seen somebody welding, you see, you see uh, the fire that comes out with that welding. And, and I've always said fire will either do one of two things. It will either separate things or it welds them together. And God says, my love is consistent. It's, it's, it will be there for you. If you will turn and receive it, then, then whatever fire you're going through will just weld my love closer to you. You'll just understand it more. You'll be able to embrace it more completely because God's love overcomes all obstacles. So our disasters shouldn't separate us from Christ, but should actually bring us closer to him. That's kind of a weird deal, isn't it? That actually these things can push us closer to him. In fact, what Paul's saying here in verse 37, he says, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, who loved us. So notice that it's not just saying that we are conquering, it's saying that we are more than conquerors. That means that we're not just barely winning this thing. We're not just squeaking by. We aren't just snatching victory from the jaws of defeat. It means that we have overwhelming victory in Christ. What I think is fascinating is that when we conquer these enemies that that Paul is talking about, when we conquer them, many of them which are brought about by our enemies, Satan, the devil, he pushes those things in our lives. He actually uses other people to bring those things into our lives. But when we conquer those things, we actually make those things in a way, our helper to be more conformed into the image of Christ, right? So, so I want you to think about this. How do you know if you're conquering or not? If those evil things make me less satisfied with Jesus, make me more concerned with him, make me step further away from him, then I am being conquered by them. Do you see that? But if... Those things that happened to me that just brought about by life, if I use those things as evil as they are or as bad as their intent is, and whether the intent comes from the enemy or some ill thought of person who just doesn't like us or whatever it is, if I use those things to drive me closer to Jesus, they become helpful in making my relationship with him more intimate and me growing into him. Do you see that? So that we can actually step back and go, wow, you thought that was for harm? God's using it for good. God's using it for good. Look how the difference it's making for me. As conquerors then, we can actually find joy in circumstances other people fear. Even other people who go to church even other people who have a nominal knowledge of Jesus, when we really own, we really say, God, show me how this works in my life. God, I'm, I'm underneath this stuff that is just burying me right now. I need to see you show up. I know you love me. I'm going to use this, this stuff that's going on to drive me closer to you, to give me victory. And pretty soon you're looking at that stuff going, oh, man, I don't know how it's going to work, but this is going to be good. This is going to be good. God's going to really show up. When I was in high school, I, I lived in Southern California, uh, not far from Huntington Beach. And uh, 
I wouldn't say I was a good surfer. I was a very average surfer, but I was a pretty good body surfer. I loved body surfing. And uh, I especially loved it when there would be a storm off the Strait of Japan, and then about three or four days later, those waves would come into Southern California, and man, would they be big. And they would put the signs out on the beach that would warn you about going into the water. That was like money to me, man, because, yeah, that means two things. That means, number one, it's big-time surf. Number two, there aren't going to be a lot of people in there. And man, my brother and I, my brothers and I, we'd come in and we'd just sit on the shore and watch, look at those waves, man. And then we'd start to wade in out toward them. And they would shake the ground when they would come down. They would terrify the average swimmer. But for somebody who knows what that meant to catch that wave and the power of that wave and looking at that, thinking, going, oh, baby, oh, man, this is going to be good. Because I knew if I could catch that just in the right spot of the curl, it would throw me out 10 feet in front of that wave in the air. Oh, it's a terrific feeling. The power that would come behind that and shoot you to the shore. Yes. Man, that's good. The last time I went to Hawaii, I hurt myself because uh, I wanted so bad to remember that. Yeah, I remembered what it's like to roll along the bottom really well. Uh, but you see what I mean? And all of a sudden, stuff's happening in your life. And you're going, yes, man, God's going to show up. God's going to show up. You just wait and see how God shows up. And people around you are looking at you like, are you crazy? That's huge, surf. Are you nuts that you can be happy, that you can be joyful in this time? I want to tell you something, Arbor Church. That's the joy that attracts people to Jesus. When we can demonstrate that in all circumstances of life that we know his love for us cannot be defeated and we refuse to not love him back irresistibly for it, that attracts people to Jesus. You know what does not? I can't tell you what's going to happen. I'm just trying to serve Jesus. Oh, but it's so hard. You know what? Don't bother. Don't tell anybody you love Jesus, would you? Just keep it to yourself. Because, my gosh, he wants so much more for you than that. And he wants so much more for the people that, that he's going to try to attract to him because of you. Because of the smile on your face. Because of the joy in your heart. Because of the compassion that you have for them. Man, God's love for you is as strong as ever. Uh, he will not desert you. So Paul's conclusion, then, and one of the greatest affirmations of faith in God in verses, verse 38 and 39. He says, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor death nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That I'm sure means I'm convinced. It means I've come through a process of persuasion to a settled conclusion in my mind and in my heart, an absolute certainty that I believe myself. I am completely convinced. And here are all of the things that cannot keep me from being convinced. Death and life. Oh, wow. The full range of human existence, Paul is saying, cannot, cannot keep me from being convinced. If we die with Christ, he's saying, then I'm going to live with him in eternity. So I'm not afraid of death. 
And if I get to live, no matter what the world throws at me, I'm not worried about that because it's going to bring me into that deeper, into that relationship with Jesus Christ. Death is only the final step in God's glorious presence, not separation from him or his love. It means we get to experience it more intently, more intensely even. Wow, so death and life aren't going to keep me from that. And angels, rulers, principalities, and powers, you know, that indicates all of the supernatural hostile forces. A couple of things. One, it makes it very clear there are supernatural, demonic, hostile forces out there. And he's saying, you know what? Those things, they can't keep me. Those things, I'm not worried about them. Why? Because I'm more than a conqueror. Because God's given me that. Because I can tell them they need to flee in the name of Jesus. Because I'm his, I'm his brother, I'm his son. Because I have that relationship with him. And he says, things present and things to come. So he's saying all uncertainties are covered here. Nothing in the course of time or even eternity can separate me from God. Nor height nor depth. Now he's talking about space, the expanse of space. Uh, there's no distance possible that can keep me separated from God's love. And just in case we think there might be something else there, he concludes by saying, nor any other created thing. Don't you like that? Just in case I've missed something, let me make sure I've got everything covered here. Nothing can keep me from that. God's love overcomes all obstacles. He's saying well, you're not called just to endure or just to accept but to actually turn them into something good that brings glory to him, and it'll be for our good. As we conclude this series, here's a picture I'd like you to get. This is so important. The whole process that we've gone through here is one for us to understand that God loves us so much he doesn't condemn us at all if we're in Jesus Christ. He says, I've, I've paid the price for that. Now I want you to love me so incredibly much. I, here's what I really want you to do. I want you to take all of the chips of your life and I want you to push them into the center of the table and I want you to say, I'm all in for you, Jesus. Amen. Everything I have, it's all in for you. I'm holding nothing back. I don't have anything hidden out on me. It's all in the center of the table. I'm counting on you, Lord Jesus. I'm going to live for you the way you want me to. I'm all in. And that's when our relationship with him goes from natural to supernatural. Because he says, now you've given me everything and you've allowed me to begin to work in these circumstances and situations in ways that I cannot or you will not let me otherwise. Now watch what I do for you. It takes faith to do that. We have to trust him to do that. You know, um, Lauren was up here praying over Darcy uh, just a little bit ago. And um, so, Lauren's background in investing, uh, he would tell you this. I'll just go out on a limb here and say that if you want to make money in the stock market, tell me if I'm wrong here. You buy low and sell high. Does that work? Yeah, that works. Okay. <laughs> Sounds so simple, doesn't it? You know, one of, the hardest, one of the hardest parts of his job is to convince somebody that's actually true to move on it. So when the stock market is going down, everybody's going, oh, no, no, the stock market's going down. They're calling, what's going on with my portfolio? How come it's going down? Oh, what do we do? What do we do? And he says, buy some more. <laughs> buy some more because it's on sale. The price is cheaper today than it was a week ago. Buy some more. It's on sale. Your average cost is going to go down. You'll have a better chance to make more money. 
And people go, do, 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 do what? Are you crazy? You want me to buy more now? Yeah, if you have faith in the system that the world system will come back around and the best investors do. There was a guy named Bernard Baruch in the uh, late 1800s, early 1900s, um, who was known for making a lot of money in the stock market. He had a lot of sayings. One of the sayings was this, buy when blood is running in the street. In other words, when it looks like things are terrible, that's when you want to buy. And it worked very effectively for him. And, uh, but the whole, his whole point is this. If you have, my point is this. If you have faith in that system, can you have faith in God's system? Who is so much greater? Who, who has proven his system not just for a couple of hundred years, but since the creation of man? To say, I trust you with this, Lord. I trust you to overcome all the obstacles in my life and that you will not let go of my faith. And I'm going to keep my faith in you. I'm going to keep trusting you. You may have heard the name Fanny Crosby. Fanny Crosby uh, was a composer of literally thousands of songs. Um, She was more than a conqueror. When that little girl was only six weeks old, uh, she had an eye infection, and they gave her the wrong medication and blinded her for life, for life. She couldn't see at all. At age eight, at age eight years old, she wrote this poem. Oh, what a happy soul am I. Although I cannot see, I am resolved that in this world contented shall be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't. To weep and sigh because I'm blind, I cannot and I won't. Wow. Eight years old. And she begins to have that kind of relationship, understanding no one can separate me from the love that God has for me. And instead of weeping and sighing, she dedicated her blindness to God. She composed a bunch of gospel hymns. I don't know how many, but in her testimonial song, a song that you might be familiar with called Blessed Assurance, she actually seems to forget that she's blind. Listen to this from verse two. Perfect submission, all is at rest. I and my Savior am happy and blessed. Listen, watching and waiting, looking above, filled with his goodness, washed in his love. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. And then she says this, perfect submission, perfect delight. Listen, visions of rapture. Now burst on my sight. Here is a blind person saying, I can see this in my mind's eye. I know who Jesus is. I know who God is. I know how much he loves me. I know how much he cares for me. I will not let anything separate his love from me. And I will continue to love him back regardless of what happens to me. Visions of rapture now burst on my sight. She sees angels descending, bringing from above. Echoes of mercy, whispers of love, of love, God's love for her. And so she concludes it by saying, this is my story. This is my song. 
praising my Savior all the day long. What's your story? What's your song? How does your life demonstrate, friends, that you're praising the Savior all the day long? So that people who are blind to who God is can see his love for them because of you, because of the way you're living your life, because you're praying for them, because you care about them. Ah, listen, Fanny Crosby sought Christ not for what he could do for her, but for what she could become for him, more than a conqueror, regardless of being blind. We have a blessed assurance that nothing can separate us from God's love. And the message he wants us to get in this entire series is, will you embrace my love and live like you know you're loved by the creator of everything, including you? You're loved, you're loved, you're loved. You are loved, friends. Let's live like it. Let's live like we know that. Amen? All right. We're on the side of the, we have communion here, and we're gonna, uh, I'm gonna ask Hayden to come up and, um, and, and Catherine, and, uh, and we're gonna do some worship, and while we do that, you have a chance to remind yourself of what Jesus has done for you, of the incredible love he has demonstrated by sharing in the sacraments and re- remembering that, the, that the, the juice is we take to remember that our sins have been forgiven. And, and the bread we take remembering what he went through, that his body was broken for us. And, and so as, you, as, as we worship together, I wanna just give you the opportunity to do that. Uh, after the service, there'll be prayer. If you need prayer for some things up front uh, on this side of the auditorium. If you are online, I uh, encourage you to be able to worship with us and, and do your own communion uh, and enjoy that. And uh, we're gonna to continue to worship God as we do that. Let me give you his blessing. Would you please stand for that to receive that and then we'll continue to worship him. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you to give you his peace and his strength so that you can live your life knowing that nothing can separate you from his great love. In Jesus' name, and all the people said, amen. Amen. Let's worship the Lord.